Welcome. Welcome in to Sports Talk Chicago. All gas, no brakes. If you're looking for the same old sports talk, get out. You've come to the wrong place. Hey, we ain't come this far just to come this far, you hear me? I tell you what I see, I tell you the truth. We going hard today. We're fearless, bold, and highly opinionated. This here show. This show is so hot right now. The biggest guests, the hottest takes, and the best interviews live right here. Do you actually remind me of Dan Patrick? Because you ask great questions, you have the knack, you have the gift. On Sports Talk Chicago. Yo, Chicago. Here's your host. The guy's an absolute stud. John Zagul. Hi, everybody. Welcome into Sports Talk Chicago. Great to see all of you here with us across our great TV and radio affiliates across Illinois and Indiana. 98.3 The Lot, WKAN 105.5 The Ticket, ACTV. Jet TV, WJOB, and Cities 92.9 Talk FM. My name is John Zaglul. John Meadows is here directing and producing. Follow us all over at Sports Talk Chicago. Subscribe to the YouTube page and hit the like button on this video. We would really appreciate it. We have a huge guest joining us here for a couple of segments. We have so much to talk with him about. Tons of air stuff, even some baseball Hall of Fame stuff. I know Mark uh, loves that topic as well. He is the Bears beat reporter for the Chicago Sun-Times. He's a 30-plus year sports media veteran right here in Chicago. Please welcome good friend of the program, Mark Potash, to the show. Mark, it's great to have you on. How are you? I'm doing great, John. How are you? I'm doing great. It's great to have you here. Um, end of the season. I know we have more time to catch up, which is great because we have a lot to talk about Bears-wise. Um, I'll start with this. What do you make of the Bears season? Well, it was uh, um, a step in the right direction. Uh, it it did it accomplished what they wanted to do in one respect, and that you know they had the arrow pointing up at the end of the season. There was more a little bit. They're a little shaky as far as on the coaching staff, and a little more uncertainty there than I probably expected or probably would have expected. And uh, did not surprise me that we did not get a decision on Justin Fields. Uh, just the way things go on offense in Chicago. Um, that was just the disappointment. It was that it uh, they did not take the step. They took a step. They didn't take the step they needed to, and 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 that's why there's a new OC in town. So, um, all in all, relative to other bear seasons, uh, I think it was actually a positive one. I've always said, or I've been saying, that you know I've covered the Bears and watched the Bears for a long time, and of all their non-playoff seasons, this is the best I've felt about a Bears team heading into the next year when you consider how well they played at the end of the year, how set they seem to be on defense and with having the number one pick and the number nine pick in a draft with a, with a potential generational talent, at quarterback, um, you know, uh, for, for a team that did not make the playoffs, uh, the bears have been in far worse shape. A potential generational type quarterback. So does that mean you're, leaning towards the Bears drafting Caleb Williams? Is that what they should do? Do you have any insights on it? Well, I don't know. You know, people ask that all the time, and I say the same thing, is that, uh, you know, they're, uh, you know, we know what Caleb Caleb Williams is on tape, but we really don't know him. And only the Bears, you know, for Chicago, from, from our standpoint, media fans, Bears, only the Bears, only Ryan Poles gets to really sit in a room and look at that kid in the eye and find out what he's all about. And I think we've seen, um, especially with the, you know, with like the Chiefs and now, you know, the it factor is huge. I'm, I'm big on that. And uh, and I think uh, that's really what you're looking for. That's that's why you that's why you draft a guy like Caleb Williams over a, a, a somewhat known commodity in and proven commodity in, in Justin Fields is because you're getting that extra. You're getting the it factor, not just a better quarterback, but somebody who can rise to the occasion, who can make his teammates better, who can, you know, just, you know, will a team to victory in big games. And and we won't, we don't get to see that, frankly. You know, all we know is what we see in these highlights and and on uh, these little clips on Twitter, him crying, his dad, this and that. That's all, that's all outside stuff. We need the inside stuff to really know if they should, they should. I'm not trying to dodge the question. I'm just saying that we, there's a huge element that we don't know about that we have to know about and that only they get to see. And that's why I thought it was important at the uh, season-ending press conference when Ryan Pohl said that where, where he where he made the decision last year in March, 
he'll almost certainly go until April before he figures out, figures out what to do because he needs, he didn't really, you know, it's funny. We always, you know, we've said this many times, you know, he's, he said he had to be blown away last year and he never really, and I think he knows he never really gave himself a chance to be blown away. He's going to give himself a chance to, to be blown away this year. And, and that's the smart thing to do. So I guess my answer is I, I don't know. I think I think that's what they're going to end up doing because I think he's going to be really good. I think he's well coached and well managed. And just athletes in this day and age, they they are raised to kind of handle these situations. And whether it's true or not, he will give – I think he will answer all the questions correctly. And I think the Bears will be in a situation where, hey, they just got to take a chance on a guy who, who has a much higher ceiling uh, and offer some other – uh, advantages like a rookie contract and things like that, and and not having to not having to re refix him, or, you know, with another court with a new coordinator, like they'll have to do a little bit uh, with Shane Waldron and, and, and Justin Fields. So I think I think ultimately they will uh, is even though that, that that the price will be you know the the haul will be immense for that pick, uh, the offers. Uh, I still think they're going to end up taking uh, Caleb Williams with the first pick. I just that's just that's the way I see it playing out. You mentioned a great point about Williams and his ability to lead teams to victory, something that Justin Fields has struggled with during his three years here in Chicago. Is that going to be, in your opinion, the main reason why the Bears move on from Fields, or are there other factors that you think put Fields at a disadvantage right now? Well, I just don't think Fields has been uh, enough of a, a quarterback, I guess. I mean, he 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 has all the physical tools, and he, and he can functionally play the position. He's very good. When he's on, he's on, and Unfortunately, most of that has been against teams that he can really take advantage of and not really playoff caliber teams. But he just hasn't, to me, he just hasn't been enough of a quarterback. I'm talking about a guy who can read defenses and who can manipulate defenses and who can uh, and step up and make big throws. One thing that we've seen in these playoffs, we see it again and again, is just how darn accurate uh, uh, Patrick Mahomes is when he needs to be. Not just overall. You can look at the analytics and say we complete certain amount of pass. Look at that game last week. He need they needed a hot start against uh, against the Ravens. That's absolutely what they need. That's they needed that to take the Ravens out of their game. And he was look at those third down throws. He was absolutely pinpoint. You never see, hardly ever see a Bears quarterback of that exact. And the point is, they only scored 17 points, but they scored. He was good at the right time, and he did exactly what he needed to do because the Ravens totally crumbled their offensive game plan. It wasn't just. They didn't play well. Their offensive game plan just totally fell apart because because the the Chiefs' offense and Patrick Mahomes were good when they had to be. That's what a quarterback needs to do. And there's they're very it's very rare. It's unlikely that Caleb Williams will ever be what uh, Patrick Mahomes is now. But he has a better chance to be close to that than what uh, Justin Justin Fields is at this point in time. Who do you blame for the? offensive issues last year because I, what I find interesting Mark and you correct me if I'm wrong Luke Getzey's getting interviews which I'm candidly surprised about he has a couple of interviews had one with the Raiders had one with the Patriots I think he has one with the Saints lined up as well so the NFL clearly does not think that Luke Getzey was fully the issue here in Chicago so what went wrong last year for the Bears offensively it's just I'll say the same thing I always say whenever there's a choice it's both it's it was the quarterback it was the offense uh and it was the offensive coordinator uh, Luke Getzey did some good things. You know, the Bears, you know, they led they led the league in rushing without uh, Justin Fields rushing for a thousand. Years. I think I figured it out. If you take out the quarterback of every team, the Bears running backs were 10th in the NFL in rushing. That's still that's pretty good. And so so he so he did have that. Um, their passing game was not good. Uh, it was not good in the fourth quarter. Both quarterbacks uh, were, were noticeably really good in the first three quarters and bad in the fourth quarter. But they were still good in the first three quarters. So what I'm saying is Luke Getzey has some uh, uh, good qualities. There, there are reasons to like him. And there's always going to be a faction. That, there are always going to be people that look at that, what the Bears did, people who know more about football than you and I, or certainly me, and, and, and know that it wasn't totally – uh, the offensive court that, that he had a, that he had a, a tough quarterback to work with as far as doing some of the things he wanted to do. So again, my answer is both. I think I think there were I think both uh, were at fault, and I think both have a chance to do better uh, in different environments. And I would, if you asked me, you know, I think I was asked this before, earlier in the season. I think Fields has the higher ceiling without Getzey than Getzey does without Fields. I think. Um, cause I think fields is pretty good. If you give him enough of a bubble of support, 
Uh, I think his skills are so good that, like I said, he can win an MVP. He can be Cam Newton for a year and he can take a team and win the Super Bowl if he's in the right environment. It was just not going to happen in Chicago because Chicago is just not a place where uh, they do very well in offense. You know, just the, it's the, the their their standing on offense has, has been in general been very poor. What do you think that right environment would be? For Justin Fields? For Justin Fields. Well, he needs an offensive line that uh, has been together for a while and stays together and, and starts, you know, 14, 15, 16, 17 games together. Uh, um, uh, he needs weapons. Uh, he needs guys who can get open. He needs an offensive coordinator who can design schemes that get guys open off the line of scrimmage. He needs a lot of things in his favor. And um, but uh, well, when he has that, he, he's uh, he's twice what Trubisky is as far as, you know, Trubisky also was good when things were go when the wind was at his back. Trubisky, look at his numbers in some of those games against not just the Lions, but some of those other games. He's got some pretty good games. You know, he was pretty good when the wind was at his back. I'm saying uh, um, uh, Justin Fields with the same kind of wind at his back uh, for 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 more than one or two games at a time can be that much better. And I, I think that's pretty clear when you see how good he is. Um, I just don't I just think he needs uh, the Bears need more. Mark Potash here with us on Sports Talk Chicago, Bears beat writer for the Chicago Sun-Times, 30-plus year sports media veteran. Mark, Shane Waldron is the new offensive coordinator for Chicago. He's replaced Luke Getze. What do you think this offense is going to look like with him at the helm? I think it's uh, it's it's hard to tell I think because we don't know who the quarterback is going to be. Um, um, the Bears like to, you know, the Bears like to be a running team, you know, run first team. But I think uh, Shane Waldron's offenses are often pass first or, you you know, use the, you, you rely on a lot of passing. So I don't know how that is going to work out with, with, with whoever the quarterback is. Um, I'll be honest. I stay uh, away from a lot of this stuff in the offseason because I just don't know. I, I think it's too hard to predict what one guy, what one guy will, if one guy will do what he do here, what he's done somewhere else. All I really know about Shane Waldron is he's got the, the Sean McVay seal of approval. He's been hired by uh, uh, Belichick. He's been hired by good people, Pete Carroll. Uh, so I go by that. And as long as they, as long as they have that and they have proven something, not just like, you know, don't mean to pick on Matt Nagy, but he, he had the, he had the Andy Reid seal of approval and the Andy Reid tree, but he hadn't proven anything. Shane Waldron at least has called plays. Okay. He's running an offense that, you know, had problems against good teams, but was still good and got them to the playoffs. So, uh, um, so I, I think that's good, but I'll be honest. I can't, I could not give you a, uh, a, a, a detailed uh, analysis of what I think he's going to do. I think it's tough for even the guys who think they know to do that, to tell you the truth, because I think, I, like I always say, these guys from players, coaches, they're not as modular as you would like them to think. Like, you know, like I always say, like baseball players are moving a guy in from one lineup to another. It's just not the same thing. There's so many different moving parts that you just don't know if the guy, if what he did in, either uh, L.A. or Seattle, if he's going to be able to, if the, if the situation is going to be right. That's why so many guys, uh, uh, so many good people fail in the NFL. Did you think it was odd that the Bears technically don't have a quarterback lined up? They kept their head coach and they hired a new offensive coordinator. It seems a little bit weird to me from the outside. Yeah, no, I think that is a problem. I think that's not a pro- I think it's a problem you can overcome if you get the right quarterback and, and you get the right combination. But yeah, that's going to be, you know, you can, we saw that coming a mile away when they decided to keep uh, Matt Eberflus. I can't blame him for doing that. I think it would have been a huge uh, jump for them to go. So even now, even if it wasn't going to be Jim Harbaugh, who would have wanted, obviously say, you know, who would have taken some of Ryan Pohl's authority away. And that was, that was a long shot. I, I, I wish they would have done that. Frankly, I think it would have been great for Chicago and I think great for the bears and had the chance you have to take, but even if it wasn't him, uh, uh, it would, it, I think, I think they should have, it would have been better, I think, or it would have been good if they could have lined everything up, but they never seem to do that. You know, they hire, they hire the GM and when they've already done the coaching search and then they hire the GM when the coach is in and then too many inherited things in an organization that just isn't really good at that, at meshing things together. I mean, you know, even when they think they have, you know, look at the, you know, one of the times they really thought they had things uh, together was when Phil Emery and Mark Trestman were like, you know, I think <laughs> though, that was a criminal minds thing. Wasn't it? The, the big, I, maybe that was what I can't, but there, you know, those two guys were like two you know birds of a feather, right? Well, you know, that worked for about 
three games, four, four games. The Bears were what three and zero, four and zero the first year, and and second in the league in scoring the first year, and then it just fell apart. So even when it looks like there's uh, there's chemistry, uh, the Bears have not had it. So uh, it's the same old thing. I mean, I just I can't say that it's not going to happen. It's just hard to predict given the Bears the Bears history. But that I think it is a problem because you can see it. You know, if the Bears stumble next year. And then they're going to have a first year, potentially a first year quarterback with a new head coach. And then you're at the same thing all over again. Then what if they change the GM? Then you get to say, you know, so the Bears just never seem uh, to to get it right. Or at least like Houston did with new coach, new coordinator, new quarterback. And look what happened. You know, they're, they're they just but 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 again, not to give you too long of an answer here. I apologize for that. But but uh, I still think I still think it can come together. You know, that a lot of things are happenstance. Success is very uh, and failure are both circumstantial in the NFL. And um, yeah, the Bears can catch lightning in a bottle. And, and maybe it's I shouldn't say that because that makes it seem like it's like a one in a million chance. But I, the Bears can make it work if you get just like Houston. I mean, Houston. Uh, despite what people are trying to tell you that that was a totally different situation. No, Houston, except for Laramie Tunsil, was pretty much the Chicago Bears when they when they made their big run this year and now look like they're going to be, you know, they're they're in good shape. So uh, it, it can happen. I guess what I'm saying is, even though it hasn't happened here, it, it can happen here. And if it's going to, this would be the year when you've got the number one pick, you've got a defense that is pretty much set and should get better. You've got an offensive line that has at least one anchor, two anchors, uh, if you include Jenkins and, and Wright, and, and and I think a pretty good building block to be good. It can happen here, and I, I don't think it's just pie in the sky. I think this, like I said before about you know non, uh, non-playoff years and the optimism, I think you can don't expect it, but you can at least hope. I think you can legitimately hope for it, no matter what they do in the draft or with quarterback. I, th- I think they're at least worthy of a of uh, of having some uh, of being positive about the Bears. Let's put it that way. You mentioned Jim Harbaugh. What was your reaction when Ryan Pohl said he didn't even give him a call? Well, it was just. I mean, that's it. Didn't surprise me. Uh, I mean, it's that's kind of the way the Bears do business. Um, it's you know they you know I mean that was asking a lot. I'll be honest. I, I mean that was um, you know to 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 do something that it was just. I just felt like I'll be honest. It was just the answer that he's the coach in Michigan. That was that was a little that kind of rubbed me the wrong way because it didn't acknowledge the reality that that he was an available coach and he was just giving me a GM speak. And I, I don't know. I mean, I really like polls. I think he's really good. But, uh, you know, him saying relying on that, that just that makes something in the back of my head makes me think that, you know, people who come to Hallis Hall, good people become like the worst version of themselves. And that was kind of a sign that, wow, Hallis Hall group think is kind of seeping into his head that he wouldn't even acknowledge the reality that uh, that that uh, Harbaugh was available to say that well he's the coach at Michigan well that didn't stop the Chargers you know um, so anyway that and a couple other things that were said uh, even you know Kevin Warren going into um, uh, putting on his lawyer hat when he was asked about uh, about the Allen Williams situation and and uh, and Ryan Poles talking about what uh, what a great uh, you know how how well that uh, Matt Eberflus kind of handled the adversity the adversity that he himself got himself into those are those are kind of two or three four examples of Hal's Hall becoming uh, Hal's Hall, people becoming uh, a part of Hal's Hall and, and kind of the same old thing so I don't think it's going to be I think I'm kind of nitpicking a little bit but I can't help but think about those two or three things I, I just mentioned and saying wow it's kind of business as usual uh, at Hal's Hall and I, I'd be a little concerned about that but but I will say this I'm not putting Brian Poles down I think he's really good and I think he made a great deal for the number one pick and I think he put himself in a really good position he was fortunate but I think he did that and I think I think overall uh, when you add up right now the first two years uh, of his uh, ledger as far as uh, acquisitions, he's had some misses, but his hits have been pretty good, and I, and I think he has a lot of potential to grow into the job. But I, I there are I guess what I'm saying is that that press conference there were two or three red flags that I'm sticking in the back of my head for 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 the future when if things as they sometimes do or often do at house all go awry. Often. That, that, that's the word right there. Not sometimes, often. You're 100% right, Mark. We're going to be right back. Mark Potash will join us for segment two. More Bears talk and baseball Hall of Fame talk coming your way next here on STC. 
Sports Talk Chicago. Here with John Zaglou, John Meadows directing and producing. Great to be on all of our great TV and radio affiliates. 98.3 The Life, WKAN 105.5 The Ticket, ACTV, JTBW, JOB, and City's 92.9 Talk FM. We had a lot of Bears talk in segment one, and we're going to have more here in segment two. As we have our guest joining us for another segment, Mark Potash. He's the Bears beat writer for the Chicago Sun-Times. And he's covered Chicago's media uh, for Chicago sports for 30-plus years. And, Mark, it's great to have you back here for the second segment. We were just talking about uh, Hallis Hall and what the Bears have done uh, in 2023. And maybe you can answer this question for me. Uh, based on everything that we saw throughout this season, there was so much chaos. There were things going on off the field, things that didn't really go amazingly well on the field, like the three blown leads inside the fourth quarter, the things that were historic for the Bears in terms of losing why did they decide to bring Matt Eberflus back? Well, I just, uh, well, I guess because that's Ryan Poles' guy. And I don't think Ryan Poles, after year two, wanted to kind of, wasn't ready to admit a mistake or, or acknowledge it or say it was a mistake. And, and I think he was looking for reasons to keep his guy. Uh, the, you know, the the comparison I use is, is the 2012 when Phil Emery was in his first year and had Lovey Smith. Lovey Smith wasn't his guy and the Bears went 10 and 6 and he fired him. Well, Phil Emery was looking for reasons net to fire his guy. Uh, Ryan Pulse is looking for reasons to to keep his guy. And in year two, I get it. I mean, uh, I always say, you know, the year two of, of uh, Eberflus was much different from, I think, year three of Nagy when uh, when the Bears had already were already on the way down. And, and they kept him in that year. And, and I, I don't think it's a, it's a similar situation. I get it in year two. I kind of think in general, I mean, I know I'm saying two different things when I said, oh, they should have hired Harbaugh. But on the other hand, overall, big picture, I'm more in favor of more giving coaches more uh, a longer leash in general. I, I think that's – I know that's kind of old-fashioned, but, boy, there's, I just look at – I keep a chart of, uh, of all the coaching hirings and how long they last and – Man, there have been like 15 coaches just in the last three or four years who have lasted, not even gotten three full seasons. So anyway, I don't mean to get too far off track, but I think in general, coaches should get a, a longer leash. Um, so I so I get that. So I, I, I get that's why he kept them. Um, I guess the thing with, with, with Eberflus is he hasn't really done much as far as a head coach. And right now, to me, his strongest suit, frankly, is that he's a good defensive coordinator. That's his biggest thing he's got going. The one thing he did was, I mean, that, that when things did go wrong, he kept the ship together. He was good. I mean, and and that's to his credit. But as far as all the other head coach things, um, higher, you know, he's uh, he, had, he had lost two, uh, well, fired coaches. I mean, there's been coaching, assist the assistants, all sorts of things. Um, he he hasn't really proven himself, but but I get that they want to give him another year to prove himself. But it's just it's just such a difficult thing because of you want continuity, but um, sometimes it's better to make changes. So I guess I don't really know how to answer the question, obviously, because I'm not, but my, I, I guess, I guess I'm just saying that Ryan Poles had his guy and it was going to be something really worse than even they had happen. It was going to take more than that, I guess, for Ryan Poles to change from his own guy. I heard on the radio after you, the end of the season. You, yep, go ahead. You, you can win with Matt Eberflus. You can win, you know, lesser coaches than Matt Eberflus have won the Super Bowl and have gotten to the playoffs. And, you know, he's not a disaster. You know, he, he's not. <laughs> he, he did look overwhelmed six weeks in. I am 100 percent. But he did recover from that. And so what I'm saying is it's possible that he can grow into the job. Yes. Would you want the, the next Kyle Shanahan or Sean McVay? or whatever. Yeah, of course you would. But the Bears have don't have a history of knowing of having the intuition to know who that guy is. So I don't blame them for for keeping for staying with Matt Eberflus and at least trying to create they have a they have a chance. This is the arrows pointing up. That's the difference. The arrows not pointing down the arrows pointing up. That's the reason why they kept Matt Eberflus because they have a chance to make a good coach out of him, whether or not he makes them a, a better team. It's happened. It's part of the NFL. I mean, I think that is a good way to put it uh, in order for, you know, people to understand why they would keep him around. You know, I heard, and I was going to mention this earlier, um, on the radio after the season, I know you brought this up briefly too, I heard people saying that through all the turmoil at Hallis Hall, which, as you mentioned in the first segment, was kind of brought upon Eberflus by, by his own doing, right. it allowed him to keep everybody together 
It allowed him to grow into the role more, and it actually effectively helped his case to stay. Uh, what do you think about that rationale or part of that rationale in terms of pertaining Eberflus? Well, I kind of wish there was more supporting evidence to keep him, like, I mean, like, you know, just more wins and just, you know, better overall play and, and winning, you know, not collapsing in some of these situations. I wish there was, but I, but I get that. And, and, uh, and uh, boy, it's funny, you know, after what was it? It was right when they got sweat just before that, when they fired, David Walker, the running backs mm-hmm. coach. And at that point, that was the second coach who had had a human human resources <laughs> issue. And um, and it just he just looked and, and also and a part of it also is is image. And he did not he does not project well uh, media wise. He's not good at that um, in a lot of on, a, on, mo- on many levels. And so and he was really lost. He did not give he did not have good response. He did not handle those well. And he's going to have to learn how to do that better because there will be rough waters again. Um, so, so yeah, so I, I, I think, I, I guess that's reason enough. I mean, it could have, it could have, it could have gotten worse and it got better. So I, that's again, when you're in your second year and it's your guy, uh, that's going to be a bigger reason, uh, to, st- to kind of stay the course. Mark Potash still with us here on Sports Talk Chicago. Mark wanted to shift gears a bit. I know this is a passion topic for you and I, the Baseball Hall of Fame. The recent results came out. Three guys got in. One guy, my guy, came three votes short in Billy Wagner. What was your take of the results that came through? Well, uh, except for one guy, I guess, I feel like it was just another uh, acknowledgement that this is really becoming the Hall of Very Good. And, I love it, and and it really and it really is. And, and when I say that, I, it's I I can't remember how I put. it. I think I said it has become the hall of very good, but not intentionally, but almost organically or naturally. Because the more players you enter in the hall of fame, with every player who comes in after a while, when you pick it every single year, it widens the pool of players who are almost as good as that player. And so naturally, there's going to be a dilution of you know the very first one was five absolute hall of famers, you know, uh, uh, you know, Ty Cobb and Babe Ruth and, and, and uh, Christy Mathewson and that group. And, and those were guys, all time greats. Now we've got, instead of all time greats, now we're getting guys who are re- who are the best of their era. And um, I, I think I've always said this, I, I'm, uh, you know, you know, we've talked about it before that the hall of fame should be much more exclusive than it is. And it should be, uh, th- there are two ways to do it. You can do the, the best of all time, best for any era, or you could do just the best of their era. And you can't, it'd be too exclusive in the former, but it's too diluted in the latter. You've got to find a happy medium. And uh, I'm actually kind of in the process of trying to recast. I feel like to recast the hall of fame and go over year by year and, and just get have, see how exclusive, how, see if I can hit that sweet spot of who should be in and who should not. And um, it's very, it's really difficult, but, uh, but uh, yeah, the way it's going now and you're seeing more and more uh, um, of players, I'm trying to think, you know, uh, I can't remember who this opened the door for, but I've, you see it all the time. Well, so-and-so's in, I can't remember. He, I, he refreshed me on who even got in. I can't even remember, but. Um, yeah. But, for this year, for this year, it was uh, Helton got in Adrian Beltre, which I, I would Beltre agree with was, Adrian Beltre's Beltre. your hall of famer. He, yes. Beltre's your one. Yeah. But the others were and guys Mauer. like maybe it was Helton, somebody they over. Well, if he got in, what about? I can't remember who it was, but anyway, that you're always going to have that. There's always so anyway. It's a natural, uh, a natural uh, thing with the Hall of Fame, and that's my argument. I don't mean to be antagonistic about it, um, but I think because I think it is natural. I think, but I just think I, I guess my point. I think the Hall of Fame should be more exclusive than it is. I mean, and that includes leaving out guys that uh, really like, like Harold Baines and you know, Ron Santo and, you know, whatever. So, uh, you know, so anyway, that's, yeah, that's, that, that's it. I think the question was, what do I think about the hall of fame uh, voting this year? That's, that's, that's what I feel. I think it's becoming another step towards it becoming more and more like the hall of very good. I'm just waiting for the day that they somehow justified Chase Utley getting in based on war, Mark. When that day happens, I'm going to lose it. Well, there's going to be actually, yeah, they're, they're, we're getting to the point where there's going to be a lot of those because they compare favorably uh, to some of the guys, to more and more of the every year, more and more of the guys are getting in. And um, I guess it's not maybe as big a deal because those are all really good players. But I just feel like these, I I feel like we're getting more players who when I, this is my own, uh, the my own way of thinking. And I don't know if a lot of people agree with me. To me, 
a Hall of Famer is a guy who I knew was a Hall of Famer when I was watching him play, not over accumulating numbers over a period of years. Now, maybe people don't see it that way. But, you know, when I saw Mike Schmidt play or Willie Mays, I saw Willie Mays and Hank Aaron. Every year I saw them, I knew they were Hall of their How many Hall of Fame seasons do you have? You know, that kind of, I guess maybe that's probably the, the, the criteria. So, um, so anyway, so, yeah, I just think it should be more for guys who have Hall of Fame seasons. Uh, and I think we're getting away from that. And like I said, not intentionally, but just kind of the way, just the natural uh, course of, uh, of of picking Hall of Fames. Well, Hall I remember, and I remember when I was a bit younger, you know, watching guys like Todd Helton, uh, Joe Maurer, Adrian Beltre is a different story, but especially Helton and Maurer, you know, you'd watch programs, you'd watch them play. Nobody really would come out and say, hey, I think that guy's going to be a Hall of Famer in 15 years when he retires. But now all of a sudden it seems like, the balances have turned, that the scales have shifted. And 10, 15 years ago, these guys weren't even coming up in Hall of Fame discussions. Now today, they're in the damn Hall of Fame. It, right. It's just, it's really stunning the right. reversal of, of um, maybe the storyline or, or the perception around them over time. I think so. Yeah, I think that's that's it's just kind of the natural course, the way it goes. Like, I think you're going to see guys who I think were guys who were once thought of as Hall of Famers who tailed off but had Hall of Fame starts of the careers like Don Mattingly and Dale Murphy. Dale Murphy's going to get in now. And he was there was no chance like 10 years ago. But now with everybody else getting in, his numbers are looking better and better. The start to his career, and you can say, well, if he just would have stopped when he was 30, you know, he would have been a Hall of Famer. I think guys like that, and I, I, I don't have a problem with that. I, I, I favor guys who had at least a Hall of Fame, like the ultimate example is Sandy Koufax. Now he's way off the charts a good, a great in that, but guys like that, I prefer those guys who had hall of fame starts to their career or, or a good hall of fame, uh, you know, chunk of their career. Uh, like Dale Murphy was a two-time MVP and Don Mattingly had also had, you know, a great start. And I, I like those guys better than the guys who played like 15 years and, you know, hit 280, uh, you know, and maybe were top five in MVP once, you know, I mean, that's just my own opinion. If you, I'm not gonna uh, argue. If, if, you don't, if, if you don't feel that way, that's that, that's fine. It's it's good debate. I agree with you. I, I think it's becoming way too big, and too many people are getting in for just no reason. I mean, the next person who's probably going to get in is Andrew Jones. He didn't have, even have 2,000 hits, and as you probably remember, his career spiraled out of control once he signed with Los Angeles. That was a big three-year, I think it was a $71 million deal. He had a buck fifty-eight, and they cut him. And the rest of his career, he was a pinch hitter, you know, on the right. White Sox, Yankees, other places. Never really got his footing again. Somebody like him, though, is probably going to get in. But that's uh, another in future guy. Years. Yeah, that's another guy who had the great, uh, a good start, and was, uh, you know, on a Hall of Fame trek at one point in his career. And um, he wouldn't be in my ultimate <laughs> Hall of Fame if I was like <laughs> when I recast it, and I, you know, and it's just the guys like you know Ty, Ty Cobb and Mike Schmidt and. Uh, what have you? Uh, but but uh, given the current environment, uh, yeah, I I I can I can definitely see that happening. When you watch baseball today, is there anybody who sticks out to you as being a legit Hall of Famer, somebody being in that elite category that you think is going to get in eventually? Well, let's see who are the who would be the lock guys. I mean, Mike Trout, and even he's having the tail off part of his career. Yes. He can't stay healthy, but obviously his numbers. He was just so dominant, and kind of the Stan Musial thing, where boy, if he had played New York, uh, he'd be he'd be in the Hall of Fame already. You know, they put him in early. <laughs> you know, it's like you know, Stan Musial is a uh, is a guy who like was you know I was on the West Coast for that era, and uh, you know has the same uh, underrated Hall of Famer type of thing. Trout's like that. Um, I mean, that's one guy for sure. Uh, boy, um, let's see what happens with Otani, huh? Um, that'll be interesting because uh, what now he's now he's hurt, and will he pitch? You know, will he pitch again? And and what happens? But he's had a great start. So I mean, uh, just for being, just for doing the Babe Ruth thing. I mean, uh, that's you know, it's fame, fame. It's a Hall of Fame. He certainly qualifies there already. Uh, if he can sustain it, uh, he's certainly there. But I'll be honest, I'm not in baseball mode. I haven't really looked at all the names. But those are the, you know, those are obviously two that that, that uh, come to mind, uh, you know, off the top of my head. I'm sure you can come up with some others. I'm sure I mean, there's other guys. But. Yeah, I mean, off the top of my head, too, I don't know how you feel about this, but uh, Verlander and Scherzer, I'd say, from a pitching perspective, are probably yeah. the better oh, pitchers. They have 3,000 strikeouts. The and stuff. Sure, yeah. Yeah, but. yeah, they're all they're all they're all going to get, it, especially with the way it is now. <laughs> um, what you got to look at is how many guys who maybe you don't think of as Hall of Famers. Um, 
you know, who are going to end up with uh, with numbers, um, you know, or Nolan El- Nolan Arenado, he'll be in there, right? I mean, look at the with his defense and offense and right. all the big numbers he put up in Colorado. Uh, you know, that's the other thing is when you you know you look at some of those, uh, you know, Helton, another guy who got in um, with the, some of those inflated numbers. Now, I think Helton, I think he had like a he even had like an over eight hundred OPS on the road, so I, he's legit in my my opinion. It's not. It's not like the guy who won, who's the guy who won the batting title. I can't remember his name from Colorado, but anyway, um, you know, had like hit like four, you know, four hundred at home and two hundred on the road. I think and, it was uh, Charlie Blackman, right? There you go. That's yeah. what it is. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> look at his look at his home road splits. You know. <laughs> anyway, so uh, yeah, you'll see. You know, Arenado's going to be. He's in. He's and he's legit. Um, not not. I don't think all time great, but the, the best for his era by that standard, absolutely. He's in. So that's another one. There's a lot. There's a lot. That's what. That's why we're talking about this is because there's really more guys than we know who are going to be in consideration. But again, the whole issue is just how, uh, uh, just how uh, bloated is is the Hall of Fame, and I, I'd say very. And it's a tough argument to make because you're denigrating people who really had great careers, but it's a Hall of Fame for a reason, you know. And and how much exclusivity should there be? Um, I, I think there should be more than there is. You know? Well, I love the argument, and that's going to be the line of the night for me. Who do you not think's in the Hall of Fame, or who do you not think uh, should be in there but will get in eventually, right? Like We're sitting here watching right. baseball today, uh, looking around and thinking, oh, yeah, you know, who cares about that guy? Kind of a blip on the radar. 10, 15 years later, they're going to be in the Hall of Fame. We're going to be wondering what the hell happened. So. Well, the other, thing, John, <laughs> is, the other thing, John, is that the game's changing. That's true, and, and and so that's that's really difficult. And I'm older, so I really don't even have a really good grasp. I, I'll ad, I'll admit that a hundred percent. I really don't have a good grasp of of what it means to have to be twelve and thirteen and win the Cy Young Award and, and stuff like that. And <laughs> and uh, and and even 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 offensive numbers and stuff. And a lot of things are, are skewed. I this is another thing I kind of go by. You know, go, looking back at like some of the the steroid numbers and stuff is like not just having like 40 homers, but how many times were you in the top five in the league? You know, we're, you know, that's one of the things about like talking about analytics. Well, one big key is analytics, like OPS plus ERA plus that's a, that's a measurement against the rest of the league. I think that's probably the biggest thing is how, how many years were you in the, were you in the league league leaders? That's why Ron Sano, I think is a better hall of fame candidate than people give him credit for. You look how many times he was in the top 10. He played an era where there weren't a lot of, there wasn't a, it was a, there weren't a lot of you know forty home run guys, and and you look, he was in the top ten, and you look it up, and in RBIs and home runs, and even yeah, you know, that's a guy who led the league in triples or had, he was up there. He's a triples and home. I mean, that's a guy who's who's been in top five in several categories. I think that's more should be the more of the standard is is uh, is is how many times you were among the best in the league, and how many times you're and how many times you're like in top five and MVP and stuff. And I don't know, maybe they do still, maybe they do. Uh, use that uh as a measurement more than i think but i that's how that's i would lean more towards that than a lot of raw numbers or things that anything that's really accumulated and mark uh, before we finish up today last question i'm going to go back to the bears here and i'm um, putting you on the spot so forgive me if it's a little bit too personal of a question but what do you think the toughest question was that you asked at a bears press conference this year the toughest one um yes. boy that's that's hard to say um Probably uh, just the most recent one was uh, asking um, asking uh, Ryan Poles if he talked uh, to Jim Harbaugh when uh, Matt Eberflus is sitting right next to him. You know, I got to deal with Matt all next year, and he's you know, he'll know, he'll know I'm the guy who thought he should have been canned. You know, what I mean, uh, or thought they could have done better. So Matt's a good guy, so I don't think he's going to hold it against me, at least not outwardly. Um, but yeah, yeah, that was kind of the most awkward thing. Um, um, but uh, you know, that's, you know, I guess that's part of the job. So I, I have to go look at, uh, 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 there were several things, obviously with the, um, uh, with the way the Alan Williams thing was handled, I think asking, there were some questions about that, even at the press conference um, that were probably difficult or awkward or stuff like that. But um, anything that addresses the elephant in the room, uh, you know, is always, is always tough to do. And, you know, the bears are a lot of elephants in the room. They need a bigger room, you know, <laughs> So, uh, but they, yeah, that's just, that's just a part of the job. And I admit, I don't handle those as well as probably I should sometimes. So I know it looks awkward and very cringeworthy, I guess people would say, but unfortunately it's the only way I know how to do the job. I don't think they're cringeworthy. I think they're great. Uh, personally, that's I why I love it. having you on because you're, you're 
you're telling the truth, man. You know, you're coming on here and you're talking about a lot of different things. And I always value and appreciate your opinion and always value and appreciate having you on the show. Uh, Mark, thank you so much. Always, thank always you, appreciate it. I appreciate you having me in. We're going to be right back. We got more Bears talk coming up. Stay with us here on Sports Talk Chicago. Sports Talk Chicago. Here for John Zaglou, John Meadows directing and producing. What a great interview uh, with Mark Potash in segments one and two. If you're just hopping into today's program, really encourage you to podcast it at sportstalkchicago.com or any of your favorite podcasting platforms. Mark Potash, he is the Bears beat writer at the Chicago Sun-Times, and he is a great questioner. He does a really good job at asking the tough questions and demanding tough answers, even when people don't really want to give them. Uh, Mark was great in terms of discussing the Caleb Williams and Justin Fields debates and Baseball Hall of Fame stuff, which is always fun to talk about if you're somebody like me. Uh, it was a really great interview. I certainly appreciate his time. And again, make sure you go back and podcast it. You can also watch on YouTube at Sports Talk Chicago and find the entire interview, the entire live stream of today's show right there at your fingertips. Go to YouTube, subscribe to the channel, and Hit the like button. You can find it all right there. We appreciate you tuning in on all of our great affiliates, 98.3 The Life, WKN, 105.5 The Ticket, ACTV, JNTV, WJOB, and Cities, 92.9 Talk FM. Last segment of today's program, Justin Fields and Caleb Williams. And this is an article that I've been waiting to discuss. I discovered this a couple of days before we recorded. I figured, okay, no big news breaks. This is something we have to talk about. Now, the title of the article I love, Applying Logic to the Bears' QB Dilemma. You know, a lot of people out there, unfortunately, don't have logic when it comes to this situation. They have feelings. They beat their chest for a certain person because they love them. And that's okay, as long as you admit your biases in the beginning and say, hey, look, I'm a Fields fan. I'm not actually providing legitimate analysis, right? If you're a fan and you come out and say it, I got no issue with that. But if you're going to sit here and provide me a legitimate analysis and tell me, hey, here's why the Bears should keep Fields, here's why he is better than Caleb Williams, or here's why he will lead the Bears to a Super Bowl, then I'm going to have to stop you right there. Because some 10-29 and 29 quarterback who's done absolutely nothing in the NFL is not going to convince me that the fourth year is finally going to be the year. You know what's really funny, too? On a separate note, I mentioned this to Mark during the interview. Luke Getzey's getting interviews all across the NFL. Not joking. He's had two with New England, two with the Raiders. He has one with the Saints coming up this week. So clearly, the rest of the National Football League thinks he's an asset. Pretty funny. Yet it's only here in Chicago, inside this vacuum, inside this bubble of media and fans and people getting overly passionate about something that they don't really understand. It's only here that we got people actually saying, Luke gets he's the problem, fire him, he's horrible, I hate him. Everywhere else around the league, he's getting interviews, he's getting opportunities, he's respected, yet it's only here that he gets run out of town and just doesn't work out. Now, am I going to say that Luke Getze is an amazing offensive coordinator? No, I'm not. Last year was partially his fault, but clearly he was not working with a suitable quarterback either. All I'm saying, and the fact that he's getting interviews with three other teams, potentially even more, goes to show a lot about his perception around the around the league, around football. He is a respected offensive mind, whether you like it or not, whether Bears fans like it or not, he is respected. He's legit. And if you're getting interviews with New England and the Raiders and the Saints, he's legit. Sorry, you don't like it, then too bad. It's true. And go talk to those other teams and tell them why they shouldn't hire him. Because I guarantee you this, one of those three teams will hire Luke Etsy. And I'm not going to sit here and freak out when they do. In fact, I'll say, yep, makes sense because he's a respected offensive mind. It didn't work out here, but look who he was paired with. Look at his quarterback. It's both of them. It's both of them. That's why it didn't work. It's not only Luke Etsy. And oh, what a horrible situation Fields was put into. Nope. Because Luke Getzey's respected around the league as evidenced by all the interest and all the interviews he's getting. It's not just one here or there, a blip on the radar. He's had three teams interview him about offensive coordinator positions. Not passing game coordinator, not quarterbacks coach. Legit offensive coordinator play calling situations. Which goes to show that these three other teams, and potentially more, respected him as a play caller. See, when you apply logic to the situation, you clearly realize something's not right compared to what Bears fans are telling you. 
He's a horrible play caller. He screwed Justin Fields. He sucks. Well, then why are three other teams wanted to hire him for his play calling abilities? <laughs> why is that even happening? If he was such a bad play caller, why is he not going to become a QB coach again or a passing game coordinator or some wide receivers coach, something else besides offensive coordinator calling plays for three distinct and one of them especially valued franchises in the Patriots. I know the Patriots had a bad year, but nevertheless, they have hired Jared Mayo. That's going to be their new head coach. They promote it from within. I don't think the Patriots are going to be horrible next year if they figure out their quarterback situation. So I want to cool the talk and cool the yelling and the crying about Luke Getty because it makes no sense. It makes no sense. My goodness. So anyway, here's this article here talking about um, logic to the Caleb Williams and uh, Justin Field situation. In this article, there's a tweet. I'm a Bears fan. I'm also a fan of the players around the league. I will root for whoever the QB of the Bears is in 2024. I will also root for Justin Fields to have a successful career no matter what team he's on. We can have civil discussions without having civil war. You know, I really like that sentiment, and I think that's the way that it needs to be approached moving forward. There's an admission that he is not the guy. There's a hope that he'll be the guy somewhere else. At the same time, there's an admission and a hope that Caleb Williams will be the guy here. It's that simple. That's the way you have to look at it. That's the most logical thing that I've seen in terms of evaluating this entire situation. That's the way you got to do it. The Bears had a 4-3 and three record in Fields' final seven starts with two defeats best categorized as, quote, totally blown victories. Totally blown victories. His yards per pass dipped to 6.9. He never threw more than one touchdown pass in a game after returning from his thumb injury. Justin Fields has improved. He has not improved enough. Yeah. The Bears went 1-3 in field starts against playoff teams and 0-5 in road starts against playoff teams the entire season when he started. Not to mention his league-worst quarterback rating passed the rating in the fourth quarter. How do you justify this? That, that's my question. I'm not trying to be, really not trying to be even uh, argumentative. I'm genuinely asking, could somebody explain to me how you justify those numbers? How do you justify going 4-3 and three in your final seven games, 1-3 and three in starts against playoff teams, 0-5 in road starts against playoff teams? How do you justify that? How do you justify 6.9 yards per pass? Well, it's Luke Getze. Okay, how many times did Justin Fields run when he should have thrown? How many times did he take sacks when he shouldn't have taken them? How many times did he turn the ball over in key situations? You can't just blame Luke Getze. And the league is in blaming Luke Getze. They're, they're giving him opportunities. They're giving him interviews. They're, they might hire him. They might hire him to be an offensive coordinator. You cannot just blame Luke Getze and then cry about it and say Justin Fields got a raw deal. You can't do it. And these numbers are damning in terms of fields. 1-3 and in field starts against playoff teams. 0-5 in road starts against playoff teams the entire season. 4-3 and when field started in the last seven games. Not good enough when you're playing easy teams to beat. Sorry. I'm not saying that this is a Caleb Williams fluff piece and that they have to keep Caleb Williams... That's not even what I'm saying. What I'm saying is this, though. You cannot sit here and tell me with a straight face that Fields is definitely the guy and that he's proven enough to be that. This guy's still never thrown for 3,000 yards. Talk to me when he throws for 3,000 yards. Then talk to me again when he gets to 4,000. We don't have 10 years to determine whether or not he's ever going to get there. I'm sorry. We just don't. The Bears have the number one overall pick. They have a decision to make, whether you like it or not. If they didn't have the number one overall pick, it'd be a whole different story. I'd rather them keep Fields than pick a quarterback in the second round, bring him in, and then try to see and and compete and develop. But when you have literally the top pick, and you could take the most talented prospect out there, I don't blame anybody for going that route instead of sticking with Fields, trading for picks, and hoping that it works out and rolling the dice. Because, frankly, you are. And that if it does work out, you got to pay him a big, fat salary, big, bad contract for what? See? It just doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense. And... Now I have more ammo. I don't I don't mean I don't even want to have more ammo. I don't want to have more ammo to critique 
these field supporters. I really don't. It's not what I, I don't sit around all day just looking around trying to find more ammo on it. I, I have other things to do with my time. But now I have more. Never thrown for 3,000 yards in a season. Worst passer rating in the fourth quarter in the NFL. Near the top of the NFL and sacks and, and lost yards. Near the top of the NFL and turnovers since his debut. And now, this past season, 1-3 when he started against playoff teams. 0-5 on the road against playoff teams all year in games that he started. The case against Justin Fields just gets worse and worse and worse. And yet we still got people out there defending him, defending him till they die. We still got people out there defending him till they die. Wow. Right? Respected people, people claim they know what's going on. And I'm not saying that I'm an expert either, but I mean, how do you discount these numbers? And then on top of it, if you want to try and go to the argument of blaming the offensive coordinator, well, then why is the offensive coordinator getting interviews left and right? So now you can't even use that. So what do you have left? Somebody tell me, what do you have left? How do you continue to justify keeping Justin Fields? Because now your last kind of shred of evidence isn't working. Luke Gensi's getting interviewed by three different teams. He's going to get an offensive coordinator job. He will be calling plays for a different team next year. So now that won't work. It's not like Matt Nagy, right? Matt Nagy never got hired as a head coach again. Now he's holding Andy Reid's cup of coffee. Right? That, that's a different story. No, this is Luke Getze, the former play caller for the Bears, who's going to make a lateral move, not a demotion, a lateral move to a different opportunity, a different circumstance in which his play calling expertise is valued. So what's that mean about his time here in Chicago? His first ever opportunity calling plays, by the way. It means that the NFL thinks he did a good enough job to stay in a similar position. Crazy, right? Didn't sound that way here in Chicago a couple of months ago, even as early as this past week. That's what's being said about Luke Getze around the league. Meanwhile, the Bears still don't know what they're going to do at quarterback with Justin Fields. There's not much left for those who support Justin Fields. I can't wait till draft day because it's going to be the only, really, it's going to be, this is the only fan base that would do this too, where you draft Caleb Williams or you got people crying and pissed off that Justin Fields is gone. You're going to be more mad that Fields leaves than happy and elated that somebody's coming in who may do the job for Chicago at quarterback. And I'm not even saying just fans. I'm talking about professionals in the media who are going to do this too. And I know some directly who are going to do this. That's mind-blowing to me. I just ask everybody to put the biases aside and evaluate based on truth. If you evaluate based on truth, you're going to be fine. If you evaluate based on I love Justin Fields and he's where my whole heart goes, then you're going to be disappointed. And on that note, we're going to finish up here on Sports Talk Chicago. Appreciate everybody hanging out with us. What a great show here today with Mark Potash. I really appreciate him coming on as well. Big thank you to John Meadows, directing and producing. You can follow us all over at Sports Talk Chicago. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. We are getting closer and closer to 20,000 subscribers. We could use your help. Go to Sports Talk Chicago on YouTube. Hit the subscribe and the like button on there. Help us out. Um, and make sure you podcast the show. Podcast at sportstalkchicago.com. Last final thing, too. Uh, last final shout-out, all of our great affiliates. We are on for the second week in a row, 98.3 The Life. We're so happy to be on with them. New station, part of the network. Those are great ones that we've been partnering with for a while. WKAN, 105.5 The Ticket, ACTV, Gen TV, WJOB, and Cities 92.9 Talk FM. All right. Well, we'll see you soon. Oh, hands down. Hands down donated. That's right. Thank you, John. See, John John got me. John got me over here. Hands down. Hey, man, thank you for the donation, my friend. You've been active with me on Twitter. I know you sent me a DM this week. I appreciate the uh, donation here on the YouTube screen. Uh, on the YouTube stream. Okay. Now with that, until next time, so long.